Have you ever wondered why humanity is so addicted to substances? Despite their destructive nature and destructive consequences, I'm pretty sure every person has some sort of addiction they're dealing with. It could be the overuse of internet, sex, porn, food, gambling, and perhaps even more destructive behavior such as the misuse of drugs as well as alcohol. In this episode, we discuss addiction and we also look at the basic science of addiction so as to build a good framework for our conversation. Our guest is Dr. Wole, a neuroscientist, and I'm your host, Dr. B.N. Mkwanaz. Welcome to the Blended Science Podcast. Now, our guest is a medical doctor and a neuroscientist. He obtained his medical degree at the University of Ilorin and then practiced medicine for over 15 years. After that, he shifted into research where he pursued his master's in physiology at the Obafemi Awolo University in Nigeria. He then continued his studies by doing a PhD at the University of KwaZulu-Natal where he worked on epilepsy. Currently, he is a postdoctoral scholar at the Gladstone Institute in San Francisco where he is working on Parkinson's disease. Now, without any further ado, here's today's episode. Enjoy. Doc, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Blessing. Awesome, awesome. Now, Doc, tell me your story. How did you get into what you are currently doing, which is neuroscience research? Okay, I received my basic education, as you said, in western parts of Nigeria, Mm. where access to basic infrastructure and education um, is challenging for an average citizen. I was able to raise through this to attain the level of education I have today through hard work and self-determination and mm. the ability to work with diverse, you know, with diverse um, group of people. You know, this has always been, you know, my, my, my watchword. You know, this has also influenced my interest in carrying out research with uh, directly or indirectly that affected an underrepresented um, individual because you know we are also underrepresented wherever we come from you know hmm. i received my mbbs and msc in a physiology degree from you know prestigious university in nigeria as you've said earlier and phd with a neuroscience um, option in ukzn hmm. um university of kwazulu natal south africa and as you said earlier, my research was focused on epilepsy. And we know that this is a condition in which many are stigmatized. We know the stigma that follows epilepsy. If you see somebody mm-hmm. who is fitting, people run around and they keep running away from the person and you know, they don't like to interact with the person. And then they and considered these people as being disadvantaged in Africa. Mm-hmm. My also my publication in these studies have helped to improve the knowledge of epilepsy and thereby using science, you know, to mm. increase awareness of the underrepresented uh, group. So presently, back to your question, I am a postdoctoral scholar in, at Nakamura's lab in Glaston Institute, as you said. And as you said earlier too, my research is based on uh, Parkinson's disease, which yeah. is of public significance 
here in South, in um, I mean here in uh, in the US and also in Africa, we know we know the statistics that goes with it. Mm. As it affects millions of you know adults, you know all over the world. Mm. Um, the Glasgow Institute is committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and this was why I mean this was was one of the reasons I was you know chosen to be part of the team. I remember the sense of belonging I felt you know when I assumed duty here in uh, Nakamura's lab. Despite me coming from a minority group, I was accepted and then I was, you know, given free way, I mean, free hand to do so many things, you know, on my own and also with people assistance here and there. And mm -hmm. I, I thank God for that. And um, I carried out my work easily as a team member of diverse background and groups, you know, so many people the Glastone Institute and also in our, in our lab. So far, my time in Glastone has further reinforced my work ethics and I enjoy working with people of different, you know, background. And mm -hmm. I have been able to thrive in the world of uh, biomedical sciences research as I'm open to unique talent and perspective of others. And, you know, despite the fact that I come from uh, an educationally less privileged background, I've been able to align myself with the world culture and technology available for my research here in Glastone. Okay, my life experience and the ability to help others, other disadvantaged um, group of people, such as students. You know, when I mm. lecture, I look at those disadvantaged, and you know, I try to assist them, especially those who are not, you know, who are below average in their academic performance. Um, this has instilled in me the culture of acceptability and inclusiveness. And this, will further, this has also further deepened my desire to provide such environment in line of my duty in the future. So I pray that, I mean, I pray and I hope that once I, you know, get settled down in, in research and, you know, I'll be able to provide such support for people that, you know, are underrepresented, underrepresented and also people that are, you know, um, of less privilege, you know, in quote mm. in, in the community. Yeah, so mm. this is where I am now, present. Mm. Wow, wow, man, that is very interesting. Tell me about the transition from medicine to research. Um, I I must confess to you that the transition came. I made the decision um, to do that at a point in my life, and this was because I. Discovered that um, because I've practiced medicine for before coming into into research, I mm -hmm. practiced medicine for over fifteen years. But mm -hmm. then I just discovered that no, I'm not enjoying what I'm seeing. I'm doing, you know, basically the the. It's not as if I don't I'm, I don't feel good helping people. But then I want to try and do more. I mean, doing more by looking for solution to. I mean to to mm -hmm. unsolve problem, not, you know, not treating problem that are already been, you know, looked mm -hmm. into and have, you know, been solved. So that was all prompted me into it. And then I just started one day and, you know, it was a, a bit of, you know, commitment from my side because it wasn't easy over there. I was working and at the same time running uh, a full-time uh, master degree, I mean, a program, which is, I mean, the distance from where, I'm, where I work, uh, okay, it's like traveling from from um, from Joburg to Limpopo. 
every time mm. because of the distance. I mean, the distance is short, but then the road is bad. So you have to mm. travel like, yeah, three, four hours on the road before you get there. So I do that three times more a week and then, you know, go for my lectures. And then and at the end of the day, I, I am happy to pay off. So basically what motivated me was because I wanted to be part, I mean, part of research team that will be able to solve problems, not necessarily, you know, um, I, I wasn't seeing, you know, seeing uh, fulfillment in what I was doing anymore because I was just treating mm -hmm. patients, and, you know, and then doing that. Though I was able to help people, but then I still wanted to do more. And that was what made me come to research and I'm enjoying it right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. That is good, man. Just going back to basics of, you know, the basics of science, finding solutions. That is really good. Now, let's transition into what you are talking about today, which is addiction. Oh, okay. Right. Um, can you tell us about just the basics of um, addiction, you know, the basic science of addiction? Okay. Um, for addiction, basically, um, I think we will have to define it. Okay. I mean, mm -hmm. let us know what addiction is basically. And then I want us to know why we want to talk about addiction. Why addiction? Why, why do we have, you know, um, issue with addiction? Okay. Yeah. And then we cannot talk about some other things. I mean, as regards the basic science of addiction. So addiction basically is defined as a, a chronic relapsing disorder, which is, you know, characterized by a compulsive drug, not only drug, okay, but we'll get to that um, later. Drug seeking, continue use despite harmful consequences and long-term changes in the brain. So these, um, don't, don't get me wrong, addiction, you could get addicted to so many things, okay? So mm -hmm. it could be drug, it could be, you know, we get to that soon, but then, you know, what we are talking about now is because of the harmful consequences and that you have a long-lasting changes in the brain due to the harmful consequences. It is considered as a complex brain disorder, okay? And also a mental illness. So addiction mm -hmm. itself, it's a mental illness and also a brain dis just a disorder. So in its most severe form or a full spectrum of um, substance use disorder it, and as a medical um, illness caused by repeated misuse of of um, a substance or substances, okay? So why do we study addiction in its first place? Um, we, we know the impact of addiction, the economic, economic impact. So mm. the reason is because of the economic impact. One, the impact, you know, which could cost at least, I mean, in, in billions of dollars a year. And this impact is related to the impact of, um, of addiction and healthcare, you know, it strains, the healthcare delivery to, to, I mean, to the populace because you have people who are otherwise supposed to be normal but are engaged in harmful, you know, event in their life. And then this could also take up the money that's supposed to use for other chronic illnesses. Also, mm. the economic impact can also be influenced by the issue of crime, you know, when somebody is addicted to drug and the likes, they easily tend to, I mean, to go into crime. And this will also cause economic end. Um, I mean, economic meltdown and, you know, and has an effect on the growth of the economy. And then also the most important thing is, I mean, when you talk about economy is the loss of productivity, because when somebody engages in such harmful disorder, yeah, I mean, he, he or she will want to, you know, 
will, will lose so many working hours. And this mm-hmm. will also affect the productivity of, you know, of, um, of the employer, you understand? And then the, the, uh, the economy is affected in one way or the other. And ultimately, you know, we know that drug overdose kill thousands of people every year. And mm. this has also been part of the reason why we need to study or talk more about addiction so that people will stop it. So one mm. is because of the economic impact and which we've, you know, talked about, and also because of the effect, you know, on the health of the individual, um, the, and also it can also lead to death. So this is why we, you know, we are studying it. And let me uh, tell you that addiction itself, okay, it's a condition that affects the brain. So mm-hmm. nearly all addictive drugs or any um, addictive uh, substance or behavior, okay, directly or, the, or indirectly targets the brain reward system. That is, there's a part of our brain that, uh, that is known to give reward, you know, to our body. When you do something that is good, you feel happy with yourself and then you feel, you know, uh, there's a part of the brain circuit, okay, that mm-hmm. gives you know, such pleasure, I mean, such feeling to individuals. So I said nearly all additive drugs, directly or indirectly, drugs or behavior, directly or indirectly target the brain reward system by flooding the circuit with dopamine. So what they do is that they release a substance called dopamine and then they increase, I mean, they increase it and then it's a neurotransmitter present in the region of the brain that regulates uh, movement, emotion, cognition, motivation, and reinforcement of reward, okay? I mean, mm-hmm. reinforcement of rewarding behavior. And this is the main part by which people that are addictive, I mean, to substances where they get the pleasure from, I mean, they drive from. Because when they do that, they get the feeling of reward, I mean, and which most of the time is temporary and they will still want to go for more and have such feelings. So when activated at a normal level, this system rewards and natural behavior, okay? But over simulating this system, with drug or other, you know, other uh, addictive behaviors, okay, will produce effects which will strongly reinforce the behavior of drug use and teaching the person to repeat it again. So as I said, so these we we overstimulate the system. I mean, we and and then you have such, you know, when somebody become addicted. You want to go over, I mean, go back and then take it again, go back, take it again, mm. and, you know, and mm. that's how the drugs again behavior. That's how it starts. Mm. Yeah. So this is more like chasing that first high that they got, that first dopamine hit that they got. So when it comes yes. to addiction, is the ability to reason affected a bit? Yeah, that, that's what we're saying now, because now, you know, you have, when you, when somebody is addicted, okay, the, such individual do not reason properly, in the sense that you would not want to know the consequences of what you're doing, and then the, your main motive then is just to get the desire and pleasure in what you are doing, and these will expose you, expose you to so many risky behavior. When somebody is mm-hmm is, is um, exposed to, I mean, he's doing a risky behavior, meaning that he's not reasoning well. He doesn't want to l- learn the consequences. He doesn't want to know what the consequences of his action is or her actions is, uh, and mm-hmm. then we'll just want to go over the risky behavior. 
So yes, it is very affected. You know, your I mean, reasoning capability is affected when you are you know addicted to to things. Mm-hmm. I think you know one of the points that you raised about the fact that addiction is a disorder, you know, helps us to understand that um, maybe we should have a little bit of empathy when we see someone that is addicted to drugs, you know, addicted to alcohol, not to give them names, you know, that's uh, probably derogatory, you know. Um, Yeah. And this has also, what you just said, I mean, just now, has um, brought about so many things, you know, when they say somebody is um, abusing drug, you know, people tend to run away from such things because of, of the stigma that follows. They want to say, okay, drug misuse instead of drug abuse, you know, mm-hmm. they don't want, you know, you want to, you want to make the patient or the individual, you know, feel comfortable talking to you and then, you know, be able to interact well with you. But if you say, mm-hmm. oh, this is drug abuse, you know, how would the person feel? But if you say, okay, if if it's a drug misuse, you know, it's MIDA in the form, in, in a sense. And then the, the person might want to diverge, you know, information with you, and then you may be able to help the person, you know, uh, out of the addiction. So as I said, it is, you know, something you need to empathize with the person and be able to offer help other than, you know, condemning the person. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. When it comes to addiction, so far we've been talking about cocaine and the like. I just want to hear from you. How do addictions differ, you know, in terms of things like that? We know that they're strongly addictive and they're destructive, like alcohol, cocaine, and many other drugs, versus behavioral addictions, such as maybe the use of um, excess use of maybe social media, don't know if we can call that an addiction, um, food, uh, sex, porn, you know, um, the list goes on. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people who always think to themselves, I'm not going to use this particular thing, you know, because of one, two, three, and four, but they find themselves going back, you know. Maybe can you make that distinction for us, whether there is any distinction Remember, we said something about the reward center in the yeah. brain. What it does is that it's, you know, once you are using that particular substance or going through that particular, you know, um, behavior, okay, you find, you know, a little bit of fulfillment at that, po- at that point. You are happy. You have, you know, you, you feel that, you know, that happiness within you, and then you are okay with what you are doing. And this will affect your judgment. You know, it affects your reasoning. And at the end of the day, the most important thing about addiction is that it will impact on you, okay, as an individual, and also might also impact on people around you, okay? It doesn't necessarily have to be you alone, you know? It can be others. I mean, it can be you or the, the effect might be felt by others. So substance addiction and addiction to other things, okay, are related and you know with the body the body will tell you okay this is addiction and the only difference is that for substance you know you see a pronouncement of the symptoms in in such individuals you know yeah. you see that okay this person is addicted to substance and you will see the signs in the person but for somebody who is addicted to gambling the only thing you see mm. is that 
maybe the person might just be fighting when he loses money when he gets home with the partner or maybe he becomes poor okay mm-hmm. and the you know this thing they work hand in hand somebody who, are, who has gambled all this money away and all those things might want to go into drugs and and the like so addiction is a, is a spectrum as i've said it yeah. is something that you know you cannot really isolate one from other because they all have consequences and the consequences might be felt i mean negative consequences i mean this time around and these consequences might be felt by you or by the other person or people around you so addiction itself you know can can uh, can bring about that so we've spoken more about about substance abuse addiction we yeah. can also as i said we can have gambling addiction you know these yeah. are people that will want to go to i mean spend all their money on the table and then we want to go everywhere to look for money you know go for borrowing and all the likes and then you know these will have consequences negative consequences in their life and they cannot stop it they just must yeah. gamble and their yeah. belief is that they're going to win one day and that is you know that's a feeling of reward they have that oh one day i'm going to eat the jackpot and they keep doing that mm-hmm. another thing is the sex addiction you know the use of of pawns and the likes okay these also um is an ad- can become addiction can become an addictive behavior and mm-hmm. this is because you know when we say somebody is addicted to something you do not want to think about the consequences and then you want to engage in so in so many risky sexual you know encounters and behaviors and when mm-hmm. your 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 judgment is is impaired in this part, you don't want to think about the consequences that you have become addicted to sex. So you want to, you know, have excessive watching of pawns and participating in a compulsive masturbation and the likes. Okay. Mm. In extreme cases, it can progress to the point of addicting, addict or engaging in illegal sexual, you know, behaviors. You know, you just see them doing displaying illegal sexual behavior. So this is also a form of addiction. Another one is um, internet addiction, you know the use of internet these days could you know um could um uh, could cause i could i mean could cause addiction and this uh and with the head of the covid 19 pandemic we had to stay indoor for for months and the likes and you know isolation and all those things people tend to do more with their computer and on internet and you know with this people will use valuable time you know spend doing all sorts on the on the internet deriving you know pleasurable experience from it okay and then mm-hmm. you know losing hours you know at work and you know and then losing productivity so this could also be you know uh could be a form of addiction i mean when i say internet addiction i've put all things on that social media and all, mm-hmm. all the like on that mm-hmm. and another important one i want us to talk about though it is a bit tricky is food addiction okay yeah. it's like sex too so you mm. know eating is normal and it's a necessary part of life okay but yeah. not only does food sustain our actual existence we know that yeah. eating is also um is also it also releases pleasurable chemicals from our brain okay so when we have when we eat we produce chemicals and mm. these will bring about you know when these chemicals are, are produced during after eating or uh, in the process of eating you have a mild form of natural high okay when you become very high okay and this is a pleasurable feeling 
Okay. Mm. And so what food addictive individual typically do is that they eat because they want to have such feelings. Okay. And these will also come at a cost, you know, when you mm. eat too much, you know what happens. Okay. You become obese, you can, you know, and then you have other health challenges and complications. And then these will also um, reduce your self-esteem and the likes, and then will also, you know, impact, uh, impact us um, economically. So I think I've talked, you know, briefly about, about um, other things that could be addicted to. So in its own form, okay, Addiction could you could be addicted to anything, as I've said. Yeah. I even told you about food, but you know, people tend to focus more on you know drug addiction. Drugs, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Tell me, does addiction run in the family? You know, are there certain individuals that may be more susceptible? You know, the reason I ask is I remember growing up, you know, I remember mm-hmm you know, friends who were experimenting with all kinds of things, the Dacha, you know, and, and there are guys who were just experimenting and they were able to not continue with that behavior. But there are people who are still still doing it even today. And if you look at the family, you're like, how? But you have a look at the father, you know, he's, you know, he's also engaged in, in some sort of similar behavior. So maybe, just to put it simply, does it run in the family? Um, thank you so much, um, blessing for this. Mm. Um, it is widely accepted, okay, yeah. within the literature from what I've searched, you know, on substance abuse and disorder, and, okay, and with addiction that it tends to run in the family. There are two, you know, factors that can contribute to this: genetic factors and environmental factor. For genetic factor, you really can't do much about that, okay? Because this is being passed on to you, okay, by your parents, and then you you pick it up, and then, you know, but the most important one is the environmental factor, okay? Let's imagine the scenario you, you, you painted. You have mm-hmm. a parent, I mean, you have a parent who are addicted to drug, alcohol, and the likes, mm-hmm. and they come home every day, I mean, every night, and the next thing is, fighting okay mm. when they keep fighting and they keep you know beating each other or beating the kids and the like okay the children are often exposed to trauma okay mm. and also intensely stressful experiences okay and mm. they will develop anxiety okay and mm. in response to this chronic stress and you know and all these things the child could also pick up you know the addiction from the parent, okay? So meaning that it is not a direct effect, you know, maybe it is not passed on the, onto them, you know, directly, but then they've seen what their parents are doing and they will only find, you know, solace or they find comfort in other parts of, I mean, in other parts of life and will be engaging in drugs and the likes, okay? So they, I mean, the abuse could not, might not be directly or indirectly, you know, when I say indirect abuse, maybe the parents are fighting and children are exposed to it. They see the parent fighting and, you know, they'll be like, no, 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 this is not normal. But then there's nothing they can do. And this will be, bring about anxiety between them, I mean, within them, and they become stressful. And at the end of the day, as I said, they could go into drugs, okay? And mm-hmm. 
Mm. So child abuse is also most prevalent in families of an addictive patient, okay? When you have parents who are addicted to drugs and the like, they tend to abuse their child. I mean, mm. they, they tend to abuse the kids and, you know, themselves and the end of the day. And at the end of the day, this will also reflect on the way the child, you know, we, we, we grow up at the end of the day, okay? And this, you know, it's like, a, it's like a vicious cycle. The child will also grow up to become like their parents and then pass it on to the kids and the likes, okay? So as I said, it's an interaction of both economic, I mean, environmental and genetic factor. For genetic factors, yeah, there's really nothing, I mean, little you can do about that, but for the environmental factor, you know, we can modify that. We can take the child away from the parent, okay? You don't allow them to grow in such environment, or you can separate, you know, the parents so that they don't come home and they're fighting each other and the likes, you know, mm. or, or, you know, and then you can also try to treat, you know, the individual so that it doesn't go back to drugs, okay? So for environmental factors, you can, you know, influence it, you can modify it, and, you, you know, there are things you can easily, you know, do to prevent such occurrences later in life, but for genetic, oh, no. So, Yes, it is. It runs. It tends to run in the families. Sure, sure. Now, seeing that addiction has such a huge impact on the brain, and I would imagine that prolonged use of any substance will bring about a change in you know the brain structure and the brain function. Is it possible with treatment that brain can rewire back to its original state? Yeah, um, when you say brain rewires back to its original state, okay, yeah. it's a bit, um, it's a bit, how do I put it now? It's, it is possible, never say never in medicine though, okay? <laughs> but then, uh, the, the, when you say it rewires back to its, uh, to its original state, it will depend on so many things, okay? So it's not something that comes easy, okay? It's mm. possible that you treat somebody and the person comes out of addiction and then the person will be able to, you know, will be helped out of it, okay? So it is a possibility. It's something that is, that, um, that is doable, but then it takes a long time, okay? So, mm. yeah, the brain might, you know, might rewire, might say, okay, these are the normal things, you know, uh, that I need to do. And these are the things that are not supposed to be, you know, uh, exhibited by me and then you know we'll try to avoid such such things okay but as i said it's not something that comes easy uh, when you treat addiction okay could be could be successful and can be successful 100 percent don't let me don't let us you know um don't let me don't take that away from me they yeah. when I have somebody who is addicted and then we come out of it 100 percent and they're fine okay yeah. yeah so and then with that you know that oh this person has become you know uh, okay, and then it's good to go. Okay, at, at that point, you can say, okay, it's fine. Maybe the brain has wired back and, you know, know mm. that these things are, you know, good and these are not good for me. Mm. You think relapse is part of the process? Some stories that I usually hear is that, you know, someone will go to rehab and then they'll be doing well at rehab. And as soon as they're reintroduced back into society, you know, they'll spend a couple of weeks or days and then the next thing they have relapsed does relapse indicate that the treatment is work, is not working or is it just part of the process 
relapse itself is not is not is not a treatment failure. You know, this is some this is a chronic habit. This is something someone has engaged into, you know, for a very long time. Yeah. So we need to help the person and then relapse. We, we if you hear the definition of you know of addiction, you will see relapse coming in place. I mean, mm. as part of it. Okay. It is let me put in quotes part of the process of, of healing. The only thing is that when you relapse, you must you know start all over again. Okay. So yeah. relapse itself is is known as the worsening of a clinical condition that has previously um, improved, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the case of additional treatments, okay, relapse is the resumption of substance used after an attempt to stop for a period of, of, of abstinence, okay? Mm-hmm. And this, you know, is like somebody who has taken drugs for, for a long time, who has gone into rehab for months, and then, you know, to I mean come back taking the I mean the drugs of, of, of abuse okay of, of misuse so for this kind of person we know the person has relapsed and then uh, we see it as common okay in the recovery process okay yeah yeah for some drugs okay the only problem we have about about um, relapse is that at the point of relapse it becomes extremely dangerous for you to use the same um, drugs at the same at the same dose, okay. After I mean, mm-hmm. after, after you have abstained for it for a while, and this is because it could lead to overdose, okay. You know, remember this is somebody who has been using this drug for a long time, long time. at a particular dose, and then at, at rehab, maybe the person has not tasted the drug for like a month, okay, and when the person goes back to the drug during relapse, okay, and try the same dose, okay, it is possible that the individual dies from overdose, okay, that is the problem we have with relapse, okay, and that is why mm. we try as much as possible to prevent it, because it is something that could, you know, be detrimental to the individual, you know, it's, it's not the fault, it's not his fault, okay, mm. could, you know, it's like, this is something I've been using, um, uh, let me just try it again and let's see, okay, and mm. as we said, it is important for us to know that relapse does not mean failure, okay? Mm. It does not mean that the person has failed at recovery or mm. that their drug treatment has failed, okay? Relapse does not mean that recovery isn't possible to, okay? Rather, it indicates that something must be reworked or revised, okay? So we could look at the environment, okay? This person is in rehab. What are the things that he's experiencing that will make him want to go back to you know, such things, okay? Maybe mm. the person is not comfortable where he is and they say, okay, no, let me just look for somebody to help me get it. Or maybe they have an insider, you know, within the rehab who is, you know, exposing them to such things, okay? Mm. Or maybe it's your treatment, you know, that you see that, okay, maybe your treatment is not optimal. I mean, when you're talking about treatment, now it could be, you know, CBT and, um, and medical treatment. That's, you know, when you talk about cognitive behavior therapy and medical, okay? It could you know, those ones might, might not be optimal enough for you to, you know, to prevent relapse. So as I said earlier, relapse rather means that something must be reworked or revised in the individual, okay? It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that the person has failed, okay? It doesn't mean that the recovery process has failed, okay? And as mm-hmm. I said, it is not a treatment failure. I would not want us to differentiate between 
slips and laps, okay? And mm. this one, I wouldn't want us to do because it's something that people we really don't want to encourage. Because when you say somebody sleep, they say it's just a one-time mishap, okay? That, oh, this is somebody that has used this drug and just sleep, maybe just use it for one time and then say, okay, no, I feel so bad about it. I'm not going to use it again, okay? Mm. And when you say there's a lapse in the treatment, they say it's a very brief sleep, okay? Or return to substance use. How do you say that? Okay, when mm-hmm. how do you quantify when somebody laughs? Okay, meaning that you know maybe the person just took the thing briefly and then say, okay, no, I won't return to the use again. Why relapse is longer for longer duration? Okay, but mm-hmm. then there are all forms of you know of deviation from the normal. Let me just put it that way. So mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want us to delineate more, you know, on the difference between sleep, relapse, and uh, and a lapse, okay? But as we said, relapse is part of the recovery process and it's only mean that we need to rework or revise our treatment strategy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Wole. Um, this is really encouraging in a way because um, I, I personally know certain people that have been going in and out of rehab, in and out, in and out. And it seems as if things are not working out. And they, you know, they go back into this very same thing that they promised they they were not going to do. And, um, you know, and there are all these kind of triggers that, you know, they kind of expose themselves into intentionally, maybe unintentionally as well. And um, I think... I think it's it's a great message to put out there that um, people shouldn't give up, you know, um, just because, as you put it, maybe there's a bit of a slip up there. It doesn't mean that you have to just go full in, you know, yeah. and be like, oh, oh, everything that I've been doing has been in vain. Nothing is in vain. Yeah. Yeah. Thank You're you right so about much. It. You just need to encourage people, you know, when it comes to, you know, relapse, because mm. it, it is part of the program. You have to think about, you know, the outcome of your treatment and part of the outcome might be relapse, okay? You mm. have a full recovery and then you have at the back of your mind that this patient or this individual might relapse and when they relapse, you need to help them out of it. And you this is also, to- yeah, and this is also important as well, even for families that stay with the person, you know, who is in recovery, not... Mm. You know, when the person relapses, you know, or slips up, then they don't start saying, oh, we we, we, we all knew that it wasn't going to work. It was yeah. just a waste of money or, you know, once we drain for, you know, yeah, that right. could do a lot more damage than good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, right. you're right. Thank you Thank so you much, Wole. Um, we've come towards the end of our interview and um, I've enjoyed this. One thing I always like to do as an as a way to end the session is just going through some some gratitude and um, maybe just tell us maybe three things that you're probably grateful for, especially that we are going oh. towards Christmas and. <laughs> <laughs> thank yeah. you so much, Leslie. Yeah, I really want to thank you for the opportunity you've, uh, you gave me to. I mean to talk today on addiction. And I hope I've at least done, 
a little of um, justice to the questions you've raised, okay? Mm -hmm. I want to start that I'm, I'm grateful for my family, okay? Especially my wife, who mm -hmm. has been supportive in all that I do and always understanding. I will forever, you know, appreciate the good wife and friend, okay? That God has given me, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm particularly grateful for that, okay? I'm also grateful for the kind of person, I mean, the kind of person I am, um, I want you to know that it is always good. It pays to always do good, to always mm -hmm. assist. Yeah. And it also pays to be humble and then be open to everyone. Please, no mm -hmm. good done to anybody. No good done to anybody will go unnoticed. Just know that. Let your principle be do good always, okay? No matter what the person does to you, try and do good and then know that you don't need a reward from the person, from the individual. And then one thing is, you don't need to know the person to do good. He doesn't have to be your friend. You know, mm. you have to try and do good. I mean, you have, you have, you have the reward more even when you do good to strangers. Okay, please let us learn to do good. It's always pays to do good. Mm. And finally, I, I think for the third thing, and which is the most important in my life, I'm grateful to God. Okay, for His favor and protection over me, okay? I'm an asshole. And may his name be blessed forever. Thank you so Amen. much. Uh, Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Doc, for your time. Appreciate this. There we have it, folks. Dr. Willis, take on addiction. Such an important conversation to have. A lot to ponder on, think about. It's December, holidays, you know. Think about things maybe you might need to cut off or slow down on you know in your life maybe it could be just taking a little bit of a break on social media and don't announce it <laughs> don't announce your break um, just quietly take your break you know maybe four weeks come back and see whether you still need to use that particular substance and of course when when it comes to drugs and alcohol it's always advisable that you do that with a health professional because they'll put you through a proper treatment. Now, friends, thank you so much for listening, supporting the Blended Science Podcast, sharing it with your friends. And for those who have given us a rating, you can still do so if you haven't done so. You know, going to Apple Podcasts, giving us a rating, usually helps with the visibility of our podcast. Otherwise, please enjoy your holidays. Don't drink and drive. Cheers. Catch you next time.